You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. And today, we're, I'm going to tell you where we're going to focus on this coming year. So this is sort of a vision Sunday. Uh, the name of this theme, uh, the name, or rather the name of this series, not the theme, the name of this series is The Beautiful Community, A Mess Worth Making. And I just blatantly stole both of those uh, titles from two different books, a book called The Beautiful Community and a book that had a different book that had the subtitle uh, A Mess Worth Making. And I just put them together. And because I told you that, it's not stealing. I gave credit. So that is the, the, the series theme. We're going to do this for about six weeks or so. And then we're going to jump into the book of Acts and go through the book of Acts together. Uh, today for Vision Sunday, we're going to be looking at Revelation 7. Now, one of the benefits I'm finding of becoming an, an old guy, this is just a, there's a lot of benefits, but this is one of them. You can repeat stories and people will just politely indulge you. And uh, it's a really wonderful thing. <laughs> My kids do it all the time. Yeah, I think you've told us that, Dad, about four or five times. And it's, it's new to me. I don't, have I ever told you all? Uh, so today I'm going to tell you a story that I've told you before. I'm, I'm old enough to repeat stories, but I'm young enough at this point to remember that it's a repeated story. So that's a, that's a good thing, I suppose. But uh, this is a story that I've shared before about vision, and I'm going to share it again as we kick off today's message. In 1952, a young woman by the name of Florence Chadwick stepped off the beach at Catalina Island and into the water determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She was already an experienced long-distance swimmer. Uh, she was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly on the day that she set out. She could scarcely see the boats that would accompany her. For 15 hours, she swam. She begged to be taken out of the water, but her trainer urged persistence, telling her again and again that she could make it, that the shore was not far away. Physically and emotionally exhausted, she just stopped swimming, and she was pulled out of the water. The boats made for the shore, and she discovered it was a mere half mile away. The next day, she <clears throat> gave a news conference, and this is what she said. I do not want to make excuses for myself. I am the one who asked to be pulled out. But I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think that if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. And that is the power of vision. If we can glimpse the destination, it not only sets our direction, but it also empowers us to persevere. In other words, if we can see the shore, oftentimes we can find the energy to keep swimming. Find the energy to keep swimming. And this is a little bit what God does in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at a passage here in a second from Revelation, is that God is, <clears throat> is addressing churches in the first century that were suffering. They were under Roman rule, 
and they were experiencing persecution. And what God does throughout the book of Revelation is He sort of rips open the sky and shows them things they can't see and don't know. Oftentimes, He's revealing His power over evil. Sometimes, like what we're about to read, He's revealing for, to them the future so that they know they will one day be safely with Him. He shows them the heavenly shore so that they can keep swimming today in the direction that He has called them. And that's what we find in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. Listen to God's holy word. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God gives them a vision of their destination And so this determines their direction and grants them strength for what he's called them to do. And he gives us the same picture. This is our Bible. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to us as well. And what God shows us in this glimpse of the shore in the midst of the foggy world where many of us are exhausted and tired is he shows us that he is saving a multi-ethnic multitude for the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. God is saving a multi-ethnic multitude for the glory of His Son, Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at that, just sort of stare at this picture for a moment today and see what God might do to stir our hearts as we look to our ministry year ahead. First of all, let's look at the fact that this is a countless multitude. He says it's a, it's a multitude, verse 9, that no one could number. He doesn't mean there is no number. God knows the number. But it's a number that, that couldn't, couldn't be figured out or counted by just looking at the scene. This is so hopeful because the original audience receiving this letter was, or this vision rather, was suffering persecution. As I mentioned, some had been martyred. And so from their perspective, from their daily experience, The church is small. The church is weak. The church is making no impact whatsoever on the culture around it. And you know, we can feel that way as well sometimes. But but John says in verse 9, after this I looked and behold. So he's saying, look, to suffering people, he's saying, look, behold means to check this out to observe this, to be even amazed by what you're about to see. He says, behold this. You've got to see this. This is where we are headed. A gathering that is a great multitude before God. It's not a few here, a random person over there, someone far across over there. It's a number that no one, it's a a multitude that no one could number. How encouraging. They're living in a world where they're being told, your God is nothing. You are worthless. Your life 
is expendable. And God says, let me pull back the sky and show you I win, is what God says to a defeated people. God says to them, my son will have his prize, the prize that he gave his life for, a a vast people, a vast people gathered before him. This isn't the father saying, you know, the son's going to get a few leftover believers here and there, sort of as a consolation prize for laying down his life on the cross. The father's not saying, look, you know, there's just going to be a random person here and a random person there for Jesus. Jesus just sort of gets a participation trophy for his laying down his life. He says, no, there's going to be a countless multitude. There's going to be a countless multitude. And, And the believers in the first century that received this, believers in places like Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira, they needed hope. They needed to know that we're a part of something that's bigger than us. They needed to know that God is at work, and though you can't see it now, He's going to do something far greater than we can imagine through the power of the gospel. That's what He wants us to see. People in Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira, they needed that hope. And guess what? So do people in Frisco and McKinney and Little Elm, and Prosper, and wherever you live. Sorry if I left it out, but wherever you live, we need to know the same thing, that that God is active in His gospel mission, and that He will have His way, and that He will save a countless multitude. Now, not only is it a countless multitude, but get this, it's a multi-ethnic multitude. God doesn't just want a big family. He wants a varied family. He wants a family that is taken from, what does he say? From every nation, verse 9. All tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Heaven is populated with a diverse population, is what he's saying. In heaven, there is no single nation that dominates heaven. That There is no single race that has priority in heaven. There is no single people group that makes up the majority with a few sprinkled here from other places on the globe. There's not even a single universal language. He says here that I saw people from all languages represented in heaven. It's a varied people representing all cultures with Jesus Christ at the center on his throne. I mean, don't miss the point here. The lamb, that speaks of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. The lamb gave his life for a multi-ethnic multitude. And so I get it. Some of us in the room are already nervous. I haven't even told you the theme. I haven't get, but I'm using words that we're already nervous about, like multi-ethnic. Let me just say that that, that exact word's not in the text. But the word nations, when he says from every nations, it is the, the word used for nations, it's the word that we get the word ethnic from. Every ethnic people, every ethnic people group is what he means there. I just took a word, or a, not a word, but a, 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 a not even a, a, what do you call it when it's at the front of the word? Uh, it, yeah, a what? A prefix, yes. I just took, I just took a, a prefix, multi, and added it to ethnos ethnic because that's what the text says. I'm not, I'm not motivated by any political agenda. This is not a sleight of hand uh, or anything like that. I just want to rest, everybody rest assured here that uh, um, every ethnic group, every nation, it's multiple ones. And so this is a multi-ethnic 
multitude that Jesus has given his life for. Now, are each of these different, a nation, uh, tribe, people, and language? Yes, they can be defined differently, each of them. But most scholars say the goal is not that that God is giving us these four terms um, to break them down and see how each term applies. He's rather stacking up terms that are ethnic descriptors uh, to say that that God's going to have a variety of people. These four terms are used seven times in the book of Revelation. I mean, they're used together. They're listed together. They're never listed in the same order all seven times. So there's not an order here or anything like that. It's probably just terms that are being stacked up to emphasize this point, that there's a universality to God's people. There's not a universal salvation. Only people in Christ are saved, and yet it's people from each nation and people. It's universal. And what they're saying is, however you want to distinguish people by national boundaries or borders, by ethnicity, uh, by people groups within a nation, tribal groups within a nation, race, uh, language, however you want to separate people up, people from every one of the groups you separate up, God is saving them, and they will be in heaven with him. Well, I mean, what, what a powerful picture. This shows us that the gospel is destroying barriers between people and bringing them all in who will believe in Jesus into one unified family. I mean, this is glorious to consider that it's a multi-ethnic family for the glory of Christ. It's a motivating vision because when he peels back the sky, he shows us this beautiful heavenly tapestry that has more differentiation, more color, more language, uh, more ethnicity than any of us can imagine, that any of us are experiencing today. I don't care how diverse a church is right now, it will not be as diverse as the believers in all human history joined together. There'll be people there with languages you never heard of. There'll be tribal groups I didn't know anything about, but God sent a witness to them and saved some of them and joined them to us in a heavenly kingdom. It's beautifully diverse, and and that's a word that's triggering folks. I have no agenda when I'm saying diverse. I'm trying to look at words. I actually Googled words. I looked at a thesaurus because I said somebody's going to be tripped up by the term diverse. So all the other words are just not as good. I mean, it's like heterogeneous. Okay, that's kind of clunky. Assorted. That sounds like nuts, not people. (laughs) Which that applies sometimes to the church. Uh, So I'm not going to say assorted or heterogeneous. I'm just going to say diverse because by any simple definition, this is a diverse people. This is a diverse people. It's varied by culture and nation and time. We could add other diversities to this, young and old, poor and rich. It doesn't matter. All kinds of people saved by Jesus Christ. Here's the application of this. God wants a multi-ethnic family, and we should want what God wants. How dare we set agendas opposed to God's agenda? God is building an international kingdom So we want to get behind what God is building. We don't want to be creating our own deal over here. 
We want to say, what does the Scripture say that God is building? And let's get behind that. Next week, we're going to look at the story of Scripture and see that from the very beginning to the very end, and we're at the end here, Revelation, but from the beginning to the end, God's plan was always to have a varied people worshiping Him. That's the design of the story of Scripture. So we don't want to create our own thing. We want to get behind what Jesus is doing. Now, every Christian I've ever met would give a hearty amen to verse 9 and 10. Every nation, amen. Every tribe, amen. Every people, yes. Every language, do it, Lord. Even quiet people who never say anything in church would say amen to that. You can get a Presbyterian to yell out about that right there. I'm sort of Presbyterian in my heart, so I say that about me, not you if you're a visitor from a Presbyterian. Uh, We're a Reformed church, so I'm for that, okay? But even people that are quiet could get behind this because we, we love the vision of God uniting believers in Jesus Christ from all nations. That's glorious. We love the idea of different people groups who have been at war throughout history, nation against nation, people against people, tribe against tribe, race, uh, battling, race. We, We love to see people saved out of all of those groups and living in perfect harmony before Jesus Christ. You see, the The challenge is not in loving the multi-ethnic multitude in heaven. We all love that. The challenge is to love my brother or sister who is different than me in the here and now. That's the challenge that we all face if we are honest. It's easy to read this and say, man, won't that be great? Won't that be great? But it's another thing to roll up our sleeves at Grace Church, and and commune with sinners like me, a sinner, and die to my own cultural preferences for the glory of Jesus Christ and the good of my neighbor. Now, that's hard. It's easy to cheer on verse 7 and say, I can't wait for that. But to really love a fellow church member, a brother or sister at Grace, from a different race whose politics are different than mine. To love them, oh, that's a different story altogether. As the old country preacher said, he stopped preaching and started meddling. (laughs) To take time, take time to understand the lived experience of a fellow church member from another country Well, i got to extend myself to do that. It doesn't take much effort. It takes effort because we're all sinners. It doesn't take much effort to relate and be in unity with someone with the same background, the same thoughts, the same influences I have. But to really take an interest in someone else who has a very different background and experience, to learn their experience, to benefit from their experience, that's something different. To listen intently, to learn from an immigrant in our church whose culture and viewpoints are different than mine, 
To not say you're from another country, well, let me help you adapt with all the ways that we're going to do it here, as opposed to saying, well, sure, I'm happy to help you enculturate uh, into this culture, but you know what? I want to learn about your experience, and I want to benefit from your world. I want to humble myself rather than highlighting, well, it took you long enough to get here and be a part of the greatest culture in the world. No, I want to say, welcome. Now, I want to know you and learn from you and benefit from you. And we need your experience shaping our church experience today. To treat someone different than me, not as the other, but as family, that's work. That is work for all of us. We, we can all cheer this and go, wow, it's a, it's a multi-ethnic, heavenly people. God's got this multi-ethnic family. Isn't it beautiful? I love it. But it's a lot of work to move from an auditorium with some diverse faces in it to a people that are gathered with folks different than them in one another's homes and at one another's dinner tables. That's something different all together. To see the glory of the multi-ethnic heavenly kingdom invade the local church today, it's more work than most Christians and most churches are willing to invest. Let's just be honest. And especially over recent years, where every church, if you're new here, um, you should know. Every church I know over the last few years has had challenges when we just had, you know, all the stuff. What does everybody think about COVID? What does everybody think about the last election? What does everybody think about, what does everybody think about race issues um, that are not new in our nation at all, but have surfaced in new ways in recent years, perhaps? So, what does everybody think about all that? Well, you can empty out a room pretty quick. You start talking about that sort of thing. And so we, it's just easier to say, you know what, why, let, don't go there. Some of you right now are going, yeah, we talked about some of that stuff, but everything, the water's smooth now. Why are you stirring it up with this kind of stuff? Why are you, can't we just leave well enough alone? See, we want to say, let, let's just, let's go safe. Let's have everybody just stay in their own environments. Maybe it's okay to gather different folks anymore, okay. But let's stay in our own environments where everybody looks the same and dresses the same and smells the same, and eats the same food, and listens to the same music, and, and watches the same entertainment, where everybody just sort of lives in their own social media echo chamber, where everybody just affirms my points of view. Let's do that because that's easy. That's comfortable. Let, let's all just watch the same cable news channel. Let's all just vote the same. Let's all just have the same view about everything and not rock the boat or at least not ask about any differences so that we have some kind of fake unity. That's just a lot easier way to live. The problem is it doesn't look anything like heaven. Heaven is not everybody just the same. Not at all. But it's the safe way. It's the easy way. I just don't think it's where we're headed. And it doesn't really inspire me to swim for that shore. Everybody the same. But when we get a vision of what the Lord is doing, 
it, it, it empowers us to say, we want what you want, God. We want to be a part of what you're building. And Lord, we're willing to humble ourselves and repent and ch be changed, every one of us, however you want to shape us to be your people. This matters to God. And so we're going to make that a theme of our coming year. Not every sermon will be on this topic. I'm, very few will be as direct as I'm t being today. Um, but this will be a theme that we're going to seek to apply, and I'll tell you how a little bit in a minute. Here is the way we have sort of thought of our ministry year. Here's the theme. You can look at it on the screen. Learning to love cross-culturally. We want to learn to love cross-culturally. Now, the people that came up on this, your elders, none of us got hired for marketing. That's, doesn't have that. That's not the phrase that pays. I get it. But it says honestly and clearly what we feel God is calling us to. And here's why. Because loving across cultural lines is not a modern-day sort of utopia, you know, dream of utopia. This is not just something that somebody modern came up with that somebody, perhaps somebody progressive, came up with, yes, love other cultures. This isn't something that just surfaced in the 21st century. This is the primary social issue that is dealt with in the New Testament. I'm not sure there's a book of the New Testament that does not address at some point how are the Jews and the Gentile Christians all going to get together? How are they going to get along? The church didn't know how to deal with this. The apostle Peter says in the book of Acts, I don't know if I can even go over and tell those people about Jesus. I sure can't eat with them. In the book of Galatians, Paul has to correct Peter because he doesn't want to look like he's eating with those people and having fellowship with those people. He wants to keep the historic Jew-Gentile barrier in play, and Paul has to correct the apostle Peter. So who are we to think, wow, Peter needed to learn something on this, but I've got it down. This is not a need for me. How are we thinking this is not a need at Grace Church when every church in the New Testament dealt with this? Different context, different people, different cultures, but the issue, how do people with significantly different backgrounds, different food, different celebrations, different cultures, how do they get along in Jesus? And the New Testament says, it ain't easy. And the church of today says, it ain't easy. But the Bible says, this is the vision of what God is building. And so there is grace. There's grace to give ourselves to Christ's purposes. Now, when I say culture, and I'm about to make a plea for patience, um, but let me just dip into that prematurely. Uh, I'm going to use words, and I know there are so many words that are culturally fraught. I mean, just open this up. It's a land. I'm walking through landmines up here. I hope you feel for me a little bit now. It's landmines. Culture, what's he mean? What's he mean? Well, I'll tell you how I'm using the word. Uh, first of all, culture is represented in the four terms, the four ethnic descriptors in this verse. Nations, tribes, peoples, and languages. Those all represent different cult cultural distinctives. A culture, broadly speaking, is the way a group of people uh, have shared practices, shared attitudes, shared values, shared beliefs, sometimes shared language, shared history. Different people of different cultures often view the world differently. They can live on the same block and experience 
the world differently. Different cultures have different traditions and different celebrations, and it's a way a common people who may have national boundaries or tribal boundaries or um, from the same people group, it's how they relate together. And so, we have multiple cultures represented in this church, which is wonderful because we live in a city with multiple uh, cultures, and it is a blessing from God. So we want to learn how to love. That's the motivation. How do, I, how do I love someone that thinks differently, experiences life differently uh, than I do, and yet maintain unity in Christ? How do we center on Christ without erasing all the differences? Because that's beautiful. How do we do that? Well, that's why our little theme this year says learning to love cross-culturally, because we don't think for a minute we've got this down. We, we have a long way to go as a church. So our goal is not to figure it out and be, be Revelation 7 by next summer. No, we're saying, could we just start? Could we just make this a stated value? So we've already dipped our toe in the, the pool of what I'm describing to you in recent years because we did discuss and address various cultural issues, which I just ticked off, listed them for you in the past number of years. We prayed for diversity in our church from the very beginning. It was not, we do not have a history. Uh, our, our beginnings were not uh, diverse uh, nationally, racially. Pick, pick, your, pick your divider. We weren't very diverse. Socioeconomically, not very diverse when this church was planted. And I, I'll tell you some stories about that along this series probably. But, but over time, God has brought differing folks from differing backgrounds. And we have addressed this, some in the pulpit, but more behind the scenes in organic discussions uh, with various folks from various cultures as we've sought to talk about this and learn from one another. And it's been bumpy at times, but overall it's been great. And we said, we feel like this is a value for us that doesn't just need to remain sort of over here with a group of people that are dialoguing about this, but this needs to be something that's a stated value of our church because it's a stated value of how God is building his kingdom. So that's why it's a stated value. It's a stated value because Jesus bled and died for people from every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. That's why it's a value. So uh, that we thought this year we could sort of talk about that. So what is my part in learning to love, the motivation of the heart, to prefer my neighbor uh, as Jesus has loved me, to love my neighbor as uh, I would want to be loved, but even more than that, as Jesus loved me? And how do I do that in a way to sort of cross um, barriers or cultural boundaries that are erected humanly? God didn't make us, uh, you know, uh, didn't create the boundaries. We often create the boundaries. But here's how we can do that, I think. Number one is we can pray. And this isn't the obligatory thing. Hey, you just mentioned prayer. No, I really, really mean it. I really feel a need for prayer. First of all, you can pray for yourself that God would reveal blind spots to you and would open your heart to love fellow church members this year to befriend fellow church members. You could pray that this time next year, you have some friendships with people who are different than you. You've been in one another's homes, you've learned about them, you've learned their background, and you've actually entered into the process of taking some baby steps uh, towards what God is building 
on, on the shore. So look at the shore and keep swimming. That's the way to think about it. Pray for that. Pray for the pastors. Let me just tell you right now, we will make mistakes. We will make mistakes. I will probably uh, at some point disappoint everybody. I mean, I'm not, that's not defeatist attitude. It's just the reality. I'll say something and somebody will say, I wish you had said that stronger. Come on now. And somebody else will say, why are you even saying that stuff? And I'll talk to both of those people in the same week and go, oh, okay. Uh, so that's, that's the way it goes. We will probably say some things that are clunky, culturally clunky, and maybe offensive. We will never be malicious or try to insult anyone. But it's inevitable that when you get into this kind of process, there's times when you slip kind of on the cultural banana peel, if you saw those cartoons from the old days. You know, you slip on it and you, you, you make mistakes. We realize that some of you are nervous about what I'm talking about. And you're nervous justifiably because you've had a bad experience in another church where somebody got up and said something like this, and then somebody, you asked a question and somebody went off on you, and you're like, man, I will never talk about that again. Some of you say, you know what, I don't know that I trust people enough yet to share what I think about some of these things. That's totally fine. Uh, just take a deep breath and pray for us and pray for your leaders as we try to lead through um, conversations and, and helping us relate better along these lines. Uh, third, you can pray that we can begin to take some steps in global missions this year. Because we want to relate cross-culturally locally so that we have a family that is living out life the way God called us to so that we can reach across cross-culturally. Because I guarantee you there's somebody in your apartment complex or somebody in your block that doesn't look like you and doesn't have the same background that you do. So how do we reach across the street to, to reach that person? We want to talk about that. And how can we reach across the globe to support global missions where there is minimal gospel witness or no gospel witness. All three of those are important. Grace Church family, community, the world. But if I had to emphasize it, I would say we start with family because we don't want to export hypocrisy. If we bring a message without a model, that's hypocritical. So if we're saying God loves all of you, Lorianne read a scripture up here today and said God forgives all sins. So if we say it doesn't matter who you are, all your backgrounds, you are totally forgiven, come on in. And they come in and they feel a separation and a coldness from people that are different than them. They're like, this doesn't match what you told me. And so we want to be a faithful model as best we can so that we can reach our community and you invite your neighbor and they come in and they feel welcomed and they come to Christ by God's grace, we pray, and that we can reach the world. And lastly, let's pray together. So um, we want to be praying together. On August 30th, we're going to have a prayer for the nations time. I think we're doing this four times this year. And not only are we going to pray for, pray for the nations, but we are uh, also going to have some cuisine. It's not meals, but it'll be cultural samplings. Uh, so like at one of these, we'll have a taste of Asia at one of them, I'm told we'll have a taste of Africa. I don't remember all of them. I know in August, we're going to have a taste of Europe. And so I have already weighed in with my, uh, you know, sophisticated um, opinion. And I've said, we're doing Europe. Let's have French fries. That's a French food. And um, <laughs> I want to encourage you to follow my lead this year. And you're going to be uh, culturally... I didn't say that. But anyway, okay, so we'll be doing that. Also, in a few weeks, you're going to receive a prayer guide. 
In this prayer guide, it's going to have nations to pray for for 31 days. These aren't random nations. They are each a nation or a people group represented by a member of our church. So we don't know. It's Caleb knows, but it's 25, 30 nations, something like that represented at Grace Church. So we're going to pray for their nations because here's the thing. The best way to start building a relationship of love with someone else is to know their background and in the case of the nations, know where they came from and pray for them. A lot of folks in our church who are from other nations understandably bear a burden for their country and they want, to, they want God to move there. And to love someone cross-culturally, that says, I say, if that matters to you and that matters to God, that matters to me. Let's pray together. That that's, that's builds our family, but it also builds our vision for God's world. So it does two things at once. Builds our family closer together and builds our vision for reaching that people group, that nation. So you'll receive that in a few weeks, we'll pray. Number two, apply Scripture in community. So I said pray and Bible, but I didn't just say Bible. Apply it in community. So the way we work, oftentimes in the West... The way we work, because we're very individualistic and not very communal, that's just one illustration why we need other cultures to help shape us, each one of us do. So the way we do it in the West typically is discipleship is individual. You get your spiritual disciplines going, prayer, Bible, fasting, you know, whatever, whatever the discipline's fantastic. You read good books, you read the Bible, you listen to sound podcasts, sound theology, so that you spiritually, uh, you witness, so that you spiritually become a more mature person. All of that's fine, but the Bible says we are not discipled individually. We're discipled in community. And where this really shows up, the weakness of individual discipleship without community, is on the topic I'm talking about this morning. Because you can't learn to love people different than you by yourself. I can give you a book that says Reaching the Nations. I can give you a passage of Scripture I just did that says implicitly, love all of God's people like He does. But until you sit down with somebody different than you, and until you get a little irritated with one another and have a difference and have to ask forgiveness and work together and say, we're committed to Jesus together no matter what, until you do that, you're not really a functioning family crossing cultural barriers in love. This is how this shows up. So here's another term I'm going to use in this series, majority culture and minority culture. Those are just generic terms. I don't know how else to say it. So... um, in our church, the majority culture is white, by, just by numbers. And full disclosure, full disclosure, cards on the table, I'm white. So full, just let's get that out there. So that's the majority in our church. And then minority culture in our church, minority uh, uh, members, is all, all, all kinds of folks from different countries, different backgrounds, as I already said. So when we have talked about race before, historically, um, I have had people largely from majority culture in our church, who uh, push back on things I've said, and that's, that's great. Anybody who opens the Word of God needs to be open to push back, needs correction, absolutely. And uh, so in conversations I've had with people, I've said, yeah, explain to me, I, I want to learn, okay, I see what you're saying. I've tried to learn and get their perspective. But where people have held so strongly and have been opposed to the kinds of things I'm saying this morning, uh, and even gotten to the point where they say, you know, we may be leaving, and Uh, several, a number did, Um, this is what I've asked every one of them. The concerns you have that you're so passionate about racially, have you talked that through with a brother or sister of another race at Grace Church? Every time they said no. 
And what that taught me is you are being discipled by the news channel that you get your news from. You're being discipled by the narrow list of authors that you read and the blogs you read. And you've never sat down with your brother or sister for whom you are responsible and they are responsible for you and opened up some of your ideas and thoughts and solicited their input. Now, that's a risky thing, but it's the only way that we're discipled together. We're not just individually discipled and then show up and smile, give a handshake and a high five and say, man, we've got unity going on here. No, it's when we can say, you know, here's something I'm struggling with, and there's enough trust that we could talk about that together and remain committed to Jesus. And so I've seen people who've not had community discipleship, not had discussions, and are left in the isolation of their own mind and have missed out on what God has. So we apply Scripture together. Number three, we focus on Christ and His work. Pray, apply Scripture together, focus on Christ. Look what the multi-ethnic multitude says in this passage. Verse 10, they cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're there in their white robes, which means they've been washed by Christ and forgiven. They've got palm branches, which represents either victory or celebration, something like that. They're all before Him, and they're saying, God, You did this. Salvation belongs to You. We're not trying to create our own deal here. We recognize You did what we could never do do. What humanity could never do, bring harmony together from different people. You did that through the blood of Jesus. We are diverse and we're unified in Christ at the same time. That's this picture. There's two dangers when we go down this road that tempt us to look away from Christ, I believe, ultimately, to look away from His beautifully diverse people and to look away from Him. One is to ignore ethnicity or national history, or tribe, or what people you're from, or what your language, pick any of these. I'll just call it ethnicity. To ignore ethnicity, there is a line of thinking that sounds very spiritual. Well, I don't see color. I don't see ethnicity. I just look at everybody's spirit. And there's something good about that. We could find some verses that would back that, that the, the priority of who the person is, absolutely. But let's be careful not to be more spiritual than God. Because in heaven, God recognizes differences. He says, look, who, who's up there? John says, behold, look at this. There's people from every nation. There's tribes you haven't heard of. They're speaking languages I didn't even know. He doesn't say, I looked into heaven, and there was an amalgam of gray individuals joined together, completely devoid of culture or background. Their history erased their cultures vanished, all homogeneous, plain, the generic people of God. That's why colorblind is not the way God relates. God creates us differently, and, and there's something to be celebrated about that. So ignoring ethnicity is not spiritual or not godly. It's ignorant because that's not what God does. The other side of the coin, the other ditch is this, to idolize ethnicity. So that my fundamental identity is American, Chinese, black, white, um, European, African. Uh, you, you pick, you, you pick. So my fundamental identity is that, and that goes before everything else. I'm an American Christian. I'm a white Christian. I'm a black Christian. I'm an Asian Christian. That's, that's backwards. Our identity in the first place 
is that we're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what fundamentally defines us. You are defined by this. The Father has redeemed you. Uh, the Father has chosen you, rather. The Son has redeemed you. The Spirit has regenerated you, and you are now a part of the people of the Spirit of God. That's our fundamental identity. Secondarily are these beautiful truths of our ethnicity as well. People that put ethnicity first, they're not willing to enter the conversation and learn from others. I show up to the conversation demanding that you hear what I have to say and that you get me. Love says, I show up and I say, I want to get you. I want to get you. I want to understand about you. And when everybody does that, then everybody's gotten and everybody gets everyone else. See, if it's primarily my identity is my ethnicity, then I cannot critique my own way that I was brought up. I cannot criticize my own nation. I cannot criticize my own background or the tribe I'm a part of, uh, so to speak. I, I cannot criticize that because that's my precious identity. But if my primary identity is in Jesus, then I can come and I can see the glory of God by His common grace among your people your ethnicity, your nation, and you can do that about me without feeling intimidated. And, and there's this sense of which we can uh, very much learn from one another, but if I idolize it, it hinders it. You see, everybody there is not focused on their ethnicity. The group is not gathered together. Now, I said God, we do not ignore it, but they're not gathered together fundamentally looking at themselves and their neighbor. They're gathered together looking at Jesus. He is the center of all of this. Their ethnicity is important, but Jesus is primary. And to get unity, we don't become unity conscious. We become Jesus and the gospel conscious, and we submit our lives to Him, and the Lord does this work of building us together. We don't ignore ethnicity. Neither do we idolize it and put it above our identity as followers of Jesus. Last thing, and I'm done. And I, I realize I've gone over this longer message. I realize that. So thank you for indulging me. I mean, I, I don't know what you're going to do. I just walk out. But um, <laughs> three attitudes. I read a book this week. The guy said, this is the trifecta of working together in the body of Christ. Body of Christ. Humility, patience, and gentleness. Very quickly. Humility. Humility means I posture myself as a learner. There's some of us in the room that are saying, um, we're all guilty of sin. I don't want to pick on groups or anything like that. But um, in, a, in an environment where there's a majority population, it could be anywhere. You could be in Africa. I could go to a church in Africa. I'm the minority population, and they're the majority population in that church, okay? Um, but we're here in Frisco. One of the challenges in, in the majority population of any organization is that we often don't see our blind spots and see things the way others see them. So don't assume, we mustn't assume that there was no fistfights at church today. Everybody loves each other like heaven. Until I really understand and listen, I've, I've talked over the years many, many times, many conversations in our church with various minority members who would share with me things, we love it, it's great to be here, but there are certain things that are sort of difficult at times for us. And um, maybe I've never said that because they didn't feel safe enough to say that. But there's things that could be difficult or challenging or even painful. There's other minority members that would say, well, that's not my experience. But some might. Some, I know some do. 
So as a majority person, I want to assume I have some blind spots and I need to humble myself and learn what it looks like from someone else's perspective. Minority members are sinners just like majority members. And so for minority members, I would encourage you to humble yourself as well and say, I don't know everything. I don't know what someone else is experiencing. There's multiple nations here. Even if you're a minority, you don't know what 25 different people from different nations experience here. So we all have something to learn. We all have blind spots. We all humble ourselves. Um, That's the first thing. Engage the process with humility. Secondly, with patience. Someone said, patience is not requiring others to move at my speed. Not requiring others to move at my speed. There are some people in the room, no one's told me this, but I'm guessing, it's an it's a educated guess, that there are some people going, why are we talking about this? Really? Okay, we're doing this. We're going there. And there are other people in the room saying, I have been waiting for this. Can we get this whole thing? Let's get it all fixed by September 1. Let's get Revelation 7 in the next five weeks of this series. And uh, both of those perspectives are wrong. We want to be patient with one another. Everybody doesn't see things the same way. Some people are comfortable dialoguing about some of this stuff. Some people will open up the conversation, but others are not. Others don't trust. Others are unsure. And so we want to be patient with one another. And I want to appeal for patience with your leaders and patient with your pastors. We are responsible and are accountable for what we say and do. Absolutely. But would you be patient with, we're learning. That was the first word, learning to love cross-culturally. Finally, let's be gentle with one another. The Bible says Jesus was gentle and lowly at heart. That's why people who were very different from Jesus could go have dinner with him. Because there was a gentleness about him. There was times he was very strong with church people, the Pharisees. If you're a legalist, there's times when in grace Jesus corrected strongly. But to the sinner, the the, the outsider, the Samaritan woman prostitute, the tax collector, he is opening his heart in life with gentleness. And we want to speak with one another that way. I don't know if you've noticed on social media, but on any of the kind of things I'm talking about today, I wouldn't say gentleness would be the word I would describe the conversation. There's not a lot of civility going on out there. And one way the church can look different and represent Jesus is say, my brother and I are different, my sister and I are different, we don't agree on everything. There may be some things we see quite differently, but we're talking that through, we're respecting one another, we're honoring one another, we're learning from one another, we're repenting of sin as, as, as we see it in our lives, we are making sacrifices, we are preferring the other, and we may never agree, we won't agree on everything forever, but we are united in Jesus, and what God is doing is more important to us than anything else. So we relate with gentleness, civil discourse. Let's act like God's family by God's grace. We believe this is going to be a great year. I'm really excited. I'm really scared. <laughs> but most of all, I'm confident that God is saving a multi-ethnic multitude. I'm confident of that in the scripture. And so I want to say, God, do in us what you're doing. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom invade us so that we can give ourselves to what you are doing. You've shown us the shore. Now give us the grace to keep swimming. Some are exhausted. 
Others are like, man, I've got fresh arms and legs. But wherever you are, let's keep swimming by the grace of God for the glory of God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 